Hello, welcome to Dungeon Delving. I'm Brandon Wagner, and today I'm delving into everyone's favorite part of the game, treasure. Specifically today, I'm talking about using your treasure hordes that you put at the end of your dungeons to push the narrative of the dungeon itself. Now, obviously, if you're trying to use treasure to push the narrative of the story, whether it be just a single adventure, a quest, um, a campaign as a whole, you are going to say, hey, you're going to go to this specific location to get the specific item out of a treasure hoard. And then you're going to put that specific item in it. But what about the rest of the treasure hoard? What if your players are doing a dungeon that doesn't have a specific item in it? They're just delving because you want to have them do an extra dungeon for fun or you need them to level up to get to the next part of the campaign. What I'm going to talk about today is sculpting that treasure hoard to fit the dungeon and make it more memorable, more interesting, more organic, um, to an extent, I guess, more believable. <laughs> you know, we're playing a fantasy game where players can cast spells and fight dragons, so believability only goes so far. But when you're building environments in a way that makes sense to the players, it's going to help them to stay engaged. It's going to keep them interested. So... Today, we're just going to talk about doing that with your treasure hoard. We're going to talk about using your treasure hoard to push the narrative of the dungeon itself and to help tell the story of the dungeon. When we're playing D&D, we're telling a lot of stories. We're telling the stories of the NPCs, the stories of the players, the story of the quest, of the campaign. But we also tell stories of environments. When your players are uh, looking for a tavern in a town exploring the wilderness or delving into a dungeon you're telling the story of what that environment is like and i'm definitely going to do a few more episodes in the future about making those environments feel more organic and alive but today specifically we're going to talk about using treasure hordes in service of that so specifically dungeons when your players go into a dungeon you're, there's a story to it it might be an ancient ruin that has become occupied. It might be just a cave. It might be a bandit lair. It could be a lot of things. And when you're putting your players into a dungeon, what you don't want to do is have them just go in, fight monsters, get the treasure they're looking for, and just leave. You want to give that dungeon character, so you're going to kind of make a story to it. If your players are exploring an ancient ruin, you're going to want to put... Um, an example I have is the first dungeon that my players ran in the first campaign I ran of 5th edition. The, it was an ancient ruin that they went into. And as they explored it, they started to get an idea of what this ruin was before it fell to ruin. So I put a lot... It was a research lab. Or not, not a research lab, but a, a scholarly place. It was an underground university of sorts. So there was a vast library full of ancient tomes that they found. They found uh, dorms. They found um, rooms with treasure in it because it was stuff that was magical and being studied by the people that were living there in the ancient times. So the treasure that they found reflected that. I have an upcoming dungeon that... I'm using the treasure in it to very much tell a story. The story, the players are going here because a group of pirates has been um, harassing local towns. 
and so spoilers for people that are going to be playing my upcoming campaigns but there's a pirate layer and they sneak into it by going through an old well, through a sea cave a natural cavern that the pirates have taken residence of has another entrance that the pirates don't know about because there's a um overgrown with um like seaweed and stuff part of the cavern and the players are going to come in through this back entrance that the pirates don't know about a couple do though but we'll talk about that in a second so in this first area it's full of sea life and there's there's you know waist deep water they have to trudge through but there's a side cavern that in it has a treasure chest now the treasure is hidden so it requires a difficult but not impossible uh, search check to find for low-level players anyways. My players are going to be level 3 when they do this dungeon. And if they don't find it, later in the dungeon when they get to the actual pirate's lair, they find a note that is slightly less well-hidden that details the treasure's location. So then they can go back and find it if they hadn't found it already. But I, what I did was, I usually roll on the tables in the Dungeon Master's Guide to figure out what my treasure hoard is going to be. And the reason I do this ahead of time, I know at least one DM that used to roll his treasure when they got to it. They'd finish a dungeon, then he'd roll on the tables to see what they got. I don't like to do this. I prefer to do it ahead of time. It saves time at the table, A. And B, it gives me an opportunity to say... I don't want that item to be in this treasure, so I can change it. Um, in the monster manual, it gives dragons details on what kinds of things they like to hoard, where they like to layer, and it doesn't do this for other monsters, but it does talk about those monsters' personalities, so you can kind of figure out what to give them to make it fit thematically. But So for this dungeon, I rolled my treasure ahead of time, and I rolled... For the, the gold, I rolled for the gemstones, and then I started rolling for the actual, you know, magic items and treasure. And I rolled uh, three potions that they would end up getting. A potion of superior healing, a potion of invulnerability, and a potion of heroism. So after rolling up this treasure, I had the idea of having the treasure in this part of the dungeon belong to some pirates that were going to escape. They didn't want to be part of the crew anymore, so they were hoarding some of their treasure, and were going to try to run away. And I decided that the potions were their backup plan if they got caught trying to escape. They would have those potions to help them fight off their former crew and escape. So after rolling up what this treasure hoard was going to be, I just had this idea to make this treasure hoard not just be treasure in the dungeon. It's part of the story of the dungeon. On top of that, I then rolled the treasure for the captain. In the captain's quarters, they'd find treasure. And most of this treasure was just, you know, gold, a couple magic items. But I had the idea, one of the things I rolled was a sword of vengeance. And I decided to give it to the captain. And this is something I've done a couple times with dungeons, where I roll a magic item and the denizen of the dungeon could wield it. So I decided to give that magic item to the boss of the dungeon and what this does is it allows you to both make your treasure 
hoard, not just a pile of gold and gems and magic items or a treasure chest full of gold and gems and magic items, but have the treasure hoard be more unique. So for this, when they fight the pirate captain, all of the treasure is going to be around the room. There's a, a fan of winds, I think it's called. And that's going to be on display. Um, yeah, it's like a wind fan or something like that. But, um... Uh, it's going to be, you know, on display in the, in the, in the room. The, the gems and gold are going to be in pouches and satchels on his desk. Um, and the gauntlets of ogre strength and sort of vengeance are going to be equipped to the boss. And you, this does a couple things for your narrative. One, it gives your boss a little more, um, memorable makes them more memorable. I, I don't know what word I was looking for there, <laughs> but it makes the boss more memorable because they're not just fighting a bandit chief reskinned to be a pirate captain. They're fighting a pirate captain with a cursed sword that has supernatural strength. And upon searching his body after defeating him, they find that he had these magic items. Um, I have an upcoming dungeon where the, my players are going to fight a... Uh, I can't think of what the monster's called off the top of my head. It's from uh, Tome of Foes, and it looks like a Skeksis from Dark Crystal. And it is... These are magic users. So I gave mine... I rolled a staff when I was rolling up the treasure, and I decided to have the monster be equipped with it. You can do this with a lich. If your players are going to fight a lich or a magic user, give them some spell scrolls that they have on their person. So if the fight's going to drag out for a long time, they don't have to run out of spell slots. They can still be casting powerful spells after running out of slots. Or times per day, they can cast it for magic users that don't have spell slots because they're not a human, humanoid. And what this does is it makes the fights more than just the monster's stat block because most players... Players that pick up the big three books are going to read the Monster Manual. And players that have interest in DMing are going to read the Monster Manual a little more carefully. So what you end up with is you end up with players that have read the monster entries. And at that point, it becomes difficult to differentiate player knowledge from character knowledge. And what this does is the player knows, oh, this monster is vulnerable to this kind of attack or resistant to this kind of attack, so I'm not going to use that. Their character has no way of knowing this, but the player does, and it's it's a difficult thing to remind yourself, hey, I need to make this bad move so that my character then knows it's a bad move, you know? That's a tough thing. That's a tough thing to ask a player to do. Do something you know isn't going to work well so that your character then knows it. And it's something that I ask my players to do, you know, to make sure they're differentiating player knowledge from character knowledge but that's something that can slip under the radar i think is having that knowledge of the monsters and you can make that knowledge of the monsters matter less by giving them magic items from their treasure hoard that change the way the monster maybe behaves in combat so your player might think wait why is 
this bandit chief hitting so hard. Their stat block doesn't support that. And then you as the DM can say, beat them and find out, <laughs> basically. Um, so you can, you can help to make the unintentional non-separation of player knowledge versus character knowledge matter less by having uh, your treasure be part of your boss's equipment. If you roll magic armor, then you can absolutely um, give it to the boss to increase their AC. Give them a resistance they didn't already have. Make a monster a little bit tougher. This also gets you more traction out of certain monsters because, you know, a bandit chief is a CR2 monster. So if you have level five or six players, a bandit chief is going to be a pushover. It's not going to be something that they one hit kill, but it's not going to be a difficult fight. So if you're rolling your treasure for a bandit chief's treasure hoard, their spoils, and you roll some equipment, give it to the chief. It makes them a little bit tougher. If you need to have your players fight a bandit cat, a bandit crew for the story. It doesn't mean that that dungeon has to be too easy. You can ramp up the difficulty a little bit by giving your chieftain some equipment. Another thing to keep in mind when you're doing your treasure is your party itself. And I would never say sacrifice the horde servicing the dungeon for having it service the players. But... One of the things to keep in mind is that your players, they're going to have things they want and have things that they aren't going to use. If your party consists of a monk, a barbarian, a druid, and a rogue, don't put plate mail in your treasure hoard. None of them are going to use it. If you roll for that, roll differently. Or if you roll for armor that can be different kinds of armor... Uh, like adamantium, for example. Adamantium armor can be medium or heavy. Make it medium. If you roll a magic sword that can be any type of sword and none of your players, all of your players use short swords or long swords, make it a short sword or a long sword. Don't make it a claymore or broadsword. Make it something that your players will actually use. Alternatively, if you want to encourage your players to diversify their characters a little bit, then give them a weapon a powerful magic weapon that they aren't that nobody in your party is proficient with. Have your player need to take if you need something for your players to do with downtime, that's something they can do is they can train with a weapon to gain proficiency in it. I am absolutely on board with allowing your characters to learn proficiencies they don't start out with or don't get from leveling up. At least when it comes to weapons, armor, tools, stuff like that. I don't think I would let my players use their downtime to gain skill proficiencies, but that's just me. You don't want a character that's good at... You don't want all your characters to be good at everything, just your bards. <laughs> um, the tables in the Dungeon Master's Guide. The Dungeon Master's Guide is full of tables for rolling up treasure. But you don't have to do that at all. If you're a Dungeon Master who prefers not to roll up treasure and would rather just pick and choose what goes in your hoard then this is exactly the way you should approach it. You don't want to approach that. If you're building treasure hoards 
purposefully, not randomly, then I would absolutely keep the dungeon in mind. Um, our, if your players are level 1 and they're going to be taking on a 2-bit gang of thieves in their hideout, don't put some wondrous item that they would that a lowly gang of thieves would never have. Alternatively, you could give them a um, like an orb of scrying. Isn't that that's a thing, right? You know, uh something that lets them see the unseen you know something like that that could give them some kind of advantage like maybe this gang of two-bit thieves and that could be a story that you build is a gang of two-bit thieves has risen up among the other thieves gangs in the area because they somehow are able to do things that the others can't and you know maybe they have a magic item that allows them to see the future or scry and they their leader is using it to plan their heists so what you put in your treasure hoard whether it be an item that is key to a story or not can really set the tone for your dungeon and help reinforce the tone for your dungeon. When your players explore a uh, beholder's lair, what kind of things are a beholder going to have? Think about that. If your players are exploring a hag's um, hut in the woods, what kind of things is she going to have kept? Weird stuff, absolutely. But there's definitely things in your treasure, in, in the treasure list, in the DMG, and the expanded one in Xanathar's Guide, that you can use to reinforce and help build the aesthetic and the narrative of a specific dungeon. And also give your players items that you want them to have. Let's say you... For the second or third dungeon your players are going to do, they're going to fight a fey creature. Pretty much every fey creature has resistance to non-silvered weapons. So in your first dungeon, you want to give them access to a weapon that they can use to actually be able to defeat an enemy and get around its damage resistance. But don't just put silver weapons in any old thing. Maybe have your... Um, if you're, if you're building a thing around Fey, for example, you could have your uh, players fight a, a person that is paranoid about the Fey. So he's armed himself and his guards with silver weapons. And then later they're going to fight an evil Fey. Maybe you, have an e maybe you have a hag that has human servants. And the human servants are armed with silver because the hag doesn't want good fae to take out her servants. Or maybe the, the evil humans or humanoids that are serving this fae are keeping silvered weapons as a contingency plan for if the hag turns on them. You know, you find a way to organically, to naturally give your players the items that they need, but have it still be in service to the story you're telling, to the tone of the dungeon, the aesthetic of it, what it's going to look like. It makes sense for these items to be here. 
And what you what this does is it gives you it makes your dungeons feel more alive. And like I said, I'm gonna do multiple episodes in the future on making dungeons feel alive or all environments feeling alive, really, because that's something that I think is important to do. But today you're just focusing on the treasure. So having your treasure serve the purpose of not only rewarding your players for completing the dungeon, but giving that dungeon more of a solid aesthetic feel, it'll do great things for your campaign. Because not only will your players be excited to get to be getting treasure, but they're getting treasure that makes sense for the environment. And that, that will help with immersion. It's not the linchpin to keeping your players immersed in the games, not by a, in the game, not by a long shot. But every little thing you can do to help keep your players immersed in the game, that helps keep them engaged. And engaged players are players that show up, that want to show up consistently. They're players that want to make time in their schedule to play D&D. And that's what it's all about. It's all about making it so that your games can actually be completed. You want to finish your campaigns because... So often we don't. So often we're unable to because we have busy lives. But when you have players that are immersed in your game, when you have players that look back on your dungeon and be like, oh yeah, we, we went into this lich's lair and defeated this powerful lich and took his collection of magic stabs. It's pretty cool. <laughs> it's a pretty cool way to... Uh, Give your players that experience because it makes the dungeons more alive. And treasure is something that's always going to be memorable. Beating a monster, getting its treasure hoard, it's something that, that is always going to be a memorable experience. So take advantage of it. Use that as an opportunity to tell the story of the dungeon itself, to tell the story of the environment. Because that's going to make that experience of getting treasure that much more memorable. And that's, I think that's all I've got for using treasure that way. I'll absolutely, I, didn't, I definitely want to reiterate that you should also sculpt your treasure to the needs of your party, whether it's, I need to give my party this magic item for plot purposes, I need to give them this magic item or armor because they're getting to a higher level and they need to start getting better gear like that if they want to survive. And keeping in mind what's in your party. Like if you have a wizard, you might want to give them some spell scrolls so they can learn more spells. If you have a druid, you want to give them... I don't know, druids aren't very equipment-minded, I don't think. But you want to give your rogue something to help them do rogue things. You want to give your fighter better armor and weapons. You know, you want to have your treasure service your party. But you want to have it service the environment as well. So... The best thing you can do is find a way to marry those two concepts. Have treasure that your party is going to want to get, but also helps push the narrative of the specific environment. And of course, the narrative of your overarching story. That's all I've got for this week. We'll see you next week for Dungeon Delving. And uh, yeah, keep on delving.